This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. All for freedom and for pleasure, nothing ever lasts forever. Everybody wants to rule the world. It's basically the song I've been singing with every college football headline lately. Do it again. Again, I have our live stream pulled up next to me, and I don't even mute my own laptop. But nonetheless, if you can't tell, we're live. It is Thursday night, August 3rd, the year of our Lord, 2023, jam-packed, high atop a saturated downtown Nashville, Tennessee. And I need that to stop because I got to get out of here tonight and get on the road. I got camp intel for you tonight, but that's not what those song lyrics were about. Plenty of nuggets to come your way, though. I have got a little then versus now comparative analysis, little game we're going to play tonight. That is what those song lyrics were about. I've got a chalice of supremacy to give away before this night is through. And I got Georgia Spotlight, bold predictions, what ifs. And I have guaranteed the loved ones just in the other room here that we're going to get the show in in under an hour. So I waste no time in telling you. They're watching us in Davenport, Iowa and Davenport, Georgia. They're watching us, or they're watching us in Gallatin, Tennessee, Paradise Valley, Arizona, and Danville, Illinois. Three things you need to know, and we're diving in with a paper pop in the meantime. The show is surging towards 200,000 subs. I mean, we added a ton yesterday and the day before. We're, we're like, we're, we're going to really, really cut it close, but we could get to 200K subs before the start of the season. I need you to get us there. Several of you have been peer pressuring friends and family. There's nothing wrong with that. Forget about what your guidance counselor told you. Peer pressure is fine in this case. Second thing you need to know, the store is opening within the next two weeks. The tour for 2023 will be announced within the next two weeks. The week one destination for that tour will be announced within the next two weeks. So it's going to be a busy two weeks around here. Let's dive in. As you know, the world of college football has been turned upside down and everyone's refreshing Twitter and whatnot, trying to find out who's going where, who's going to get left out, what a conference is going to look like. Is there going to be an entire mushroom cloud over the sport? Well, we're leading with approximately none of that tonight because I have instinct about you guys and I think you're kind of tired of it. So until news breaks on the conference realignment front, it's not leading the show. Colin, here's your end point. Fall camps are open all over the country. We got scoop. We got intel. We got about as deep a network of team insiders to rely on as can possibly be found. And therefore, we're going to go all over the country and we do it every show in August. What about Texas? I didn't talk about them the other night. So, you know, A.D. Mitchell transferred from Georgia to Texas, and he is one of several really, really good receivers they could have out there. Now, if you watched Sark at Alabama or you've watched Sark, period, he's a very, very good play caller. And when his offense has the requisite skill at wide receiver, it can be lethal. You may say, well, Josh, anyone's lethal when they have skill at wide receiver. Not like Steve Sarkeesian. 
uh, go back and watch the 2020 season at Alabama for reference. Well, I'm telling you that to tell you, I was looking at Chip Brown's stuff the other day and talked to him today on the phone, actually, from Horns 24-7. And I said, Chip, how legit does that wide receiver room look? He said, very, very legit. And also, talking to some folks around the Big 12 and the coaching community, they'll tell you this is the first year out of three that Sark's been there now that he's got legitimate depth in his receiver room to be able to call plays like he wants to. And he likes to roll with a four-man rotation and really lean on those four. Did it at Bama. He'll do it at Texas. Xavier Worthy? Yep. A.D. Mitchell transferred from Georgia to Texas? Yep. Jordan Whittington's out there. And also Isaiah Nayer, the injury kept him out of last year. He'll be there. And look, you've got names behind them. Casey Kane not only is a great stock car driver, he's also a sophomore receiver for uh, Texas. And Jonte Cook, true freshman, five-star. He's in the house too. But those top four, if you're watching on YouTube, those top four names, those will be feature names. But here's the other thing you need to pay attention to with Texas, because that's going to, I'm on TV right there, by the way, that's going to get a lot of run. The receivers and the quarterback position and offense is going to get a lot of run. Do you remember the name Jalen Catalan? I was up in Fayetteville last year in week one when they played Cincinnati, talking about Arkansas. And Jalen Catalan was one of the players that went down for the year at safety. And Arkansas' season sort of took a spill along with it, although they won that day. Catalan transferred to Texas, and I don't think a lot of people remember this. That's the guy they're looking at in practice. That's the guy they're looking at along with Jaron Thompson at safety. If Catalan's healthy, and they think he is, he is such a difference maker for Texas. I mean, they've had to rotate other positional guys to safety over the last few years. If they don't have to do that, and if they've got two very experienced and very dependable and very physical players, especially in Catalan's case, on the back end, that makes a huge difference for Texas, and hardly anyone's going to be talking about it because it's all about offense out there right now. Jalen Catalan, one of the most important names in the Big 12, and because it's Texas and where they're going to be ranked preseason, maybe one of the most important names that you won't hear a lot about in the Big 12 and college football playoff races. What about Tennessee? Let's go over to Knoxville for just a second. The transfer portal was a big topic of conversation, obviously all throughout spring, but some of the names I think slipped through the cracks. For instance, I don't think that you see many people plastering John Campbell Jr.'s name across the front of a preview magazine. It's no disrespect to him. It just wasn't a premier name, but he's going to possibly start at a premier position for Tennessee. Started 12 games at offensive tackle for Miami last year. 6'5", 320, transferred to Tennessee. And both of their offensive tackle spots are kind of open. Now, they've got three or four guys they're looking at, so it's not that they're without options, but they need SEC caliber options. And they've been both fingers crossed hopeful John Campbell Jr. is going to be that. Granted, we're through like one, two, or maybe three fall camp sessions, depending on where we're talking about. They got him running with the ones over there in Knoxville. And so far, so good. Again, just understand I'm saying that with my fingers crossed. You got to look past Joe Milton. I don't, even, I don't even talk a lot about the high-profile quarterbacks in this segment this time of year because you can get that anywhere. Need to look past that. Uh, Joe Milton will need to heavily depend on guys like this to pan out, and therefore Josh Heupel in Tennessee's hopes and dreams will largely be attached to guys like him. Speaking of which, that transfer portal, it didn't do any favors to the perception of Oklahoma State, right? Had a lot of guys go out. And we covered the other side of that. If you're an Oklahoma State fan, I have talked on this show about how maybe the situation 
not quite as dire as it initially seemed on the outside when it comes to the portal exodus out of Stillwater. Well, the fact does remain, your starting quarterback left in Spencer Sanders, and he would be their starter if he was still there this year. I don't think anyone's arguing that. Now, where the, the discrepancy comes in, maybe where the point of contention comes in, is they got Alan Bowman from Michigan by way of Texas Tech, welcome to Portal Life, and they would argue, in a glass half full or a chalice half full sort of manner, they would argue he's going to be good enough, he just needs to get his shot. Who is Alan Bowman? See, a lot of us who cover the sport year-round take for granted, everyone just knows who that is. Well, he committed to Texas Tech in 2018. He's 6'4", 205. He started 16 games over three seasons. Didn't light the world on fire. He goes up to Michigan for a couple of years, doesn't do anything up there, and now he's transferred to Oklahoma State. There is always the camp that believes you've got a diamond in the rough and he was just in the wrong depth situation, probably should have transferred somewhere other than Michigan. And if he had done that, he already would have blown up. But lucky us, he's here in Stillwater now and he's going to be more than serviceable. You may be right. I don't think Mike Gundy's an idiot. I think he knew what he was doing when he took him. But here is why I'm paying special attention to him. I don't know at tailback that they're anywhere close to what they have been in some years past. Not poor. They're just going to have to rely on some inexperienced guys to lead the way there. And if they don't get that, you know, if Oklahoma State gets average running back production by their standards, well, then all of a sudden, not only do you need Alan Bowman to shine, you need him to disproportionately shine and carry a lot of the load that otherwise would have been carried by those running backs. That is something we're monitoring in fall camp. I want to be sure you understand what I just said. I didn't say running back is a weakness. I said it's a big question mark. Mike Gundy has kind of said as much in his media availability out there. There was one name we were paying close attention to with Ohio State. Quarterback, obviously, but as it relates to the portal, they went and they got Josh Simmons. Remember, that was the tackle from San Diego State. We came out of spring and everyone understood Ohio State's going to be a title contender if they address the offensive tackle position. And they addressed it. You know, Paris Johnson and Dewan Jones head off to the NFL. You have to fill really, really big shoes there. So they went and got Josh Simmons from San Diego State. All right, so now the way the casual mind works is, okay, well, when I check my first Buckeye practice report from Dave Biddle and the folks over at Bucknuts, Josh Simmons will have just seamlessly slid right in there with the ones, right? No, he's running with the threes because he's never practiced there before. This is post-spring. They added him. And so it may be a little shock to the senses for those unfamiliar with how actual college football practices work to see that he's running with the threes. Now, here's the other thing. I'm not even telling you he's guaranteed to start. I'm just telling you I don't think he'll run with the threes very long. Luke Montgomery, though, is in the mix there as well. And Biddle and the folks over at Bucknuts have spoken glowingly about the progress and potential production now that could be in Luke Montgomery's future. So there are options there. I don't know that there are all Big Ten caliber options, but there are options there. And that's not even to start talking about the quarterback position because we'll do that later. And since so many of you sadistic-minded folks amongst us wanted me to touch on this, yeah, Iowa State's got a little quarterback situation. Yeah, the QB decided to throw a few shekels on games he's not legally allowed to bet on. Yes, I've read the headlines. No, I will not give you the satisfaction of going in-depth on it. All I'm ready to say on the record is we may be looking for a new starting quarterback up at Iowa State. That's all I'm ready to say right now. That's my official statement. And then I want to also add, it's a skill versus experience thing up there right now. 
And the skill, I think, lies with J.J. Cole. Colin's going to show you a picture in a second. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to explain to you what you're looking at in J.J. Cole. But Rocco Becht, it's one of those B-E-C-H-T. So you go Becht, you go Becht, you go Becht, whatever. Uh, that's the guy who was the backup last year. Now, he's got the experience. He knows the system. J.J. Cole's a freshman. I and Steve Wolfong have some experience with J.J. Cole. Now, J.J. Cole's listed at 6'7", 230. Sometimes you think that people overhype themselves and their, their height in the media guides. Well, that is J.J. Cole as a rising high school senior. If you're listening on podcasts, just, just imagine me, Steve Wolfong, and then basically a skinny ogre with good hair, because that's J.J. Cole. He, he sauntered over there. He's got a giraffe-like build, but handles himself wonderfully. In fact, one of the things that stood out to me when we watched him in Elite 11 is he's massive, but yet he doesn't look weird. He doesn't look herky-jerky like he carries that 6'7", and whatever he weighs, 230. He carries it very well. He doesn't look awkward. Some really, really tall kids look awkward in high school. He is ultimately going to be the answer up there. I don't know if he's going to start immediately, but he's ultimately going to be the guy. So J.J. Cole season may be upon us a little bit earlier than anticipated, or Rocco Becht in the meantime. And that's how I'll choose to pronounce his name indefinitely. But yeah, fall camp. We're getting ever closer, friends, to the first series of those scrimmages. And as you know, anyone who's watched the show for any length of time knows, yes, there's nothing like a Sunday late kick after a week of college football games. But you don't even have to wait until week one. Because when we have those Sunday shows and we have scrimmage intel, it's, it's like if I wore sleeves, it would be time to roll them up. It is a beautiful, beautiful time of year. And if you're tired of focusing on conference realignment, take my word for it. There's real life practice going on and real life depth chart moves being made. And we will, uh, in a paper popping fashion, be here for it. But the piece of paper I just popped, you see this? Got a nice little story written on it. I got to read you something. So I told you, for those who didn't believe me, I'm about to prove it again. I told you, I'm dead serious. I'm giving away a chalice of supremacy every show in August. The way you earn one of these things is you don't pay for it. Save your money. Your money's no good here. It'll be good at the Pate State Store a couple of weeks from now, but it's no good here. And I don't just toss them out, as Meemaw would say, willy-nilly. You got to earn it. And you earn it by finding ways to, in a very public fashion, promote our show. A legal but public fashion. So Zach hits us up from Clinton, Tennessee. This is how it's done. I have verified these facts, by the way. He said, I'm not sure this is chalice worthy, but I run a pretty popular convenience store right off the interstate, and I exclusively have late kick on the TVs here. 12 hours a day, seven days a week being played for nearly 1,000 people a day. I put the old ones on in case I miss anything. I play the podcast off the TV so everyone whose ears perk up to football can just look up and see who it is. I've got a ton of regulars that just stand and watch the show. Got the family all on board and any of my football friends too. Well, Zach, as of this afternoon, producer Jesse and Office Whitney have packaged up a chalice of supremacy and it is headed right up I-75 to your doorstep in Clinton, Tennessee. Thank you so much, sir. If you want to know how to earn a chalice, follow the lead of Zach. And if you don't own a convenience store, just get creative. We move on. This is going to be a very interesting segment. 
I think it'll be very contentious in the comments, but I think we'll all be better for it. But let me take a sip from the chalice just in case. Hey, this is what you're fighting for right here. Liquid sold separately. All right. So I'll just, I'll just dive into it, and then I'll, I'll tell you why I just paused significantly. College football in 2007 was pretty wild. College football in 2027, no one knows really what it's going to look like, but I asked you guys on the last show, and then I took it to Twitter, if, if college football could only exist one way for the rest of time, would you rather it be the way it was in 2007 or the way it will be in 2027? Now, before Colin shows you the results, if you haven't already seen that poll, if you haven't already thought it through, think about what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the structure. I don't mean the specific results we got in 2007. I don't mean how your team did in 2007. I just mean you can take a version of college football for the rest of time. Do you want it to look like 07 or what 2027 will look like? Colin, show them the results. This was not close. And you know how much I detest that phraseology. But in this particular case, it wasn't even close. 2007, a runaway winner. And you guys wanted 2007 over 2027, 75% to 25%. And now this is not like a Judd song. Grandpa, I think is the name of that song. It, yes, you can tell me about the good old days anytime you want to. I know how powerful a weapon nostalgia can be. I know. So I know that Meemaw used to tell me all the time, the past is always romanticized and the future is always feared, even taking that into account. I prefer 2007. So I'm not just romanticizing the past. I remember the flaws. I remember what I liked and didn't like at the time. I'm still in love with 07 over, over what 2027 is going to look like. Now, there has been progress on some fronts in this sport. I'm just telling you where I land. You guys can tell me in the comments where you land. There certainly has been a lot of progress in certain areas. However, you know what I care about, and I know what most of you care about, and if I didn't before, that poll tells me. I mean, this, this show, this community right here, we, we love Saturdays, man. We watch the playoffs. We, we attend the playoffs. We're glued to the playoffs, but we really love those Saturdays. We really love there to be a pretty clearly built wall between the college product and the NFL, even though we probably watch both. It does not particularly turn us on to think about games being played in these lifeless NFL venues. We really love the spirit of on-campus competition. And we really love a world where your entire self-worth as a program is not solely determined on whether you're in playoff contention or not. It's great to make the playoffs. Wonderful. But it's not the end-all, be-all. You can still have meaning. Games can still mean something without that. So that, that's one reason why I think a lot of people are gravitating towards 07 over 2027. The other thing is you're starting to see the trajectory of the sport if left in the hands of those who currently have a grip on the sport. You're kind of seeing where we're headed. Um, I forgot who put it out, but there was a really, really good kind of summary thread of tweets explaining how so many of these changes that are happening in the sport right now are not necessary. And anyone who tells you otherwise is lying to you. The SEC didn't have to add Texas and OU. Just like any kind of subsequent move like the Big Ten adding USC and UCLA, that stuff doesn't have to happen. It happens because it can. And so 
like I like I explained three years ago when we when Colin and I were first starting this show here, I think it was during COVID. We did a segment on this, and I equated college football kind of to a nature preserve. If left to the laws and rules of the jungle, college football, much like that nature preserve, would go away very quickly. Because that nature preserve has to have special rules and ordinances and carve-outs so that animals that otherwise wouldn't live in Nashville, Tennessee can live in Nashville, Tennessee and, and not get destroyed and the land that they occupy doesn't get destroyed. That's what a nature preserve is. A collection of people, a community has decided, you know what? We want this here. And we understand that little three-toed sloth would stand no chance against a, a semi-truck coming in and unloading a bunch of steamrollers. Yeah, it'd be gone in a heartbeat. But we don't want that to happen because we love the nature preserve. It means something to our community. Well, in college football, if you really just followed rules and laws of the open market, this is kind of what would happen. Or free market, not open market. This is kind of what would happen. And there are some sound minds in the room that used to be a lot more vocal and a lot more audible rather than they are now who have said for a long time, we kind of like the idea that Washington State can exist at the highest level of the sport. Don't necessarily think they're going to win a title, but that's okay. We like that idea. But not everyone likes that idea. Fortunately, we had kept those folks out of the room for a while. Now they're in the room. You know why? Progress. That's why. Because all change is progress, according to uh, far too many people. So we put that poll up, and sure enough, there's the Cole Kublik text. This is an example of how not all change is progress. We put that poll up. We saw the 75-25 of those who supported taking college football back to what it used to be. And sure enough, in the comments, it was a bunch of people accusing you of fighting change, fighting progress, boomer this, boomer that. Uh, it's not always that, guys. It's really not. I'll even tell you, as someone who would love the 07 model more, there are elements of college football's game today I'd love to inject into 2007. So it's, it's, it's not like holistic in nature, but if you had to go A, B, choose one or the other, I'd go 07. Why? Got a huge college audience that probably has no clue why 07 is romanticized. And not just that year, that time period. Why is it romanticized? Well, for those of you who like competitive balance, let me tell you, we had a new champion every single year, just about, of the entire 2000s decade. I think we had, what was it, Jesse? It was, it was Florida that repeated, and I think LSU repeated. But other than that, well, USC did, but it was a split national championship. It was crazy. It was wild, wild times, kids. And also, you had this thing called regionality, territoriality. You had a thing that you would call West Coast football, and then a thing you would call Southern football, and a thing you would call Midwest football. And when you said those things, it meant something. Because college football, although not like it would have been a generation earlier, was still largely divided up based on territories. Kind of like pro wrestling in the 70s and 80s. It was a wonderful thing. Never had to change. If the right people were in charge, it wouldn't have changed. But like I said, nothing perfect lasts forever, except in your memory, I guess. I loved that, though. I loved that the public discourse didn't revolve around the postseason. Everything that matters was not defined as how it related to the postseason. And right in line with that, I'll tell you something else that used to exist. And this is just a foreign concept. If you're, if you're 12 or 13 years old, and this is, this is your generation that you're growing up in, 
You have no concept of what it meant in an era where every bowl had value. No one ever said meaningless bowl game. Those words just didn't come out of people's mouths because every tier of bowls meant something. Getting a bowl win, getting to a bowl, it meant something. And I'll tell you why it meant something. Because we also had a proper appreciation for tiers of success. To me, partly the playoff and partly the way the playoff was covered ruined this concept entirely. It used to be that we understood not every program can win a national title. It's stupid to think they can. And therefore, some teams, like Ohio State, should be graded. Success, failure, based on whether they're making the playoff or whether they're in the BCS chase or whatnot. But, but a team, and just pick one out of the blue. I don't know. I don't ever like to pick on anyone. Colorado. I don't know. Uh, pick someone like that. Texas Tech. Just a normal year for them. Eight wins is good. Nine wins would be fantastic. And you may even flirt with a New Year's Day bowl game, or at the very least, a late December bowl game. You may get to go to Florida to play in one. Big deal. Really big deal. Not sarcastic big deal. Like, legit big deal. And then comes the playoff era. And there was, there was failure over here. And then there's playoff over here. And the middle ground just disappeared. It evaporated. And if you're not in the playoff, your November games are meaningless and your bowl game is meaningless. And guess what happened to the players? They didn't start opting out before that. I think history will misremember that. Players didn't start opting out until some of the adults in the room irresponsibly started telling those kids, well, if you're not in the playoff, your bowl game doesn't really matter. You know, your late season game doesn't really matter. Well, those kids did a crazy thing. They listened and they believed you and they started to opt out. And then the same folks who called games meaningless started chirping, oh, shame on those players for opting out. Shame on them for doing what, for listening to you? You started that. They didn't start that. So I missed that era. I also saw several of you in the comments say, I hated the BCS at the time. And now I'd give anything to go back to it. That's me. I know how you feel. I, hated, I, I claimed to hate the BCS at the time. I thought I had a better way. And I, look, I still think there's a world where you go playoff, but you just cover it differently and you still maintain the sanctity of certain other compartments of the sport and the playoff works okay, but that's not the way it, that's not the way it worked out. And there are a lot of people to blame for that, but that's not the way it worked out. I'll tell you the perfect world, which I didn't present as an option. The perfect world would be to blend the best of both. And so I, I never thought the BCS was a bad thing. I, th I thought that I could do better, but the one thing I remember always thinking, I remember um, when I was younger, I used to listen to Colin Cowherd's show a lot when he was at ESPN because he was the only one that taught college football nationally up there. It's what turned me on to him. And I remember one day so vividly, I was probably working in the sample department down at David Rothschild Company in Columbus, Georgia. And I remember one of the themes that he hit on one year when he was talking BCS is he said, why does everyone think that just because people are upset, it means something has to change? Why are there so many folks who think if someone's complaining, there's a problem that has to be solved, and it has to be solved to the point that it shuts them up? This, this was so brilliant in its simplicity, and it's as true today as it was then. People being mad at the end of a college football season does not always mean you have a problem. <laughs> Quite the opposite. You can't have an ending to an ultra-popular thing where competition is involved 
without someone being mad. You have failed mightily in one way or another if everyone's happy. How could you ever script? For, forget letting competition play out. Pretend this is pro wrestling. How could you script an ending where everyone is happy? You can't do that. And much less in real life could you ever have that happen. So I remember thinking that then. Uh, but enough people complained. And then enough people on the other side who were scared of their own shadow looked around and said, uh-oh, uh-oh, people are mad. That means we got a problem. we got to fix it. Oh, also, added solution. I'm told that the, the fix will make us more rich. So that's great. By the way, we had a, a rematch in 2011 in the title game, so we certainly can't have that again. So out with the BCS, in with the college football playoff. I do not mind college football playoff expansion. Today, now, I'm talking about today. Uh, if you got to do it, do it. But if you could take me to six, where you could still have number one and number two get a bye, you could still have a round of on-campus games, but you kept the BCS formula, that's what I love. Because auto bids are a trash concept, and I know some smart people disagree with me on that, some people I really respect, that's fine. But the BCS formula was not bad. It wasn't bad at all. Just because it made people mad, it was not bad. It rhymes, and it rhymes for a reason, because it makes sense. But also, if you expanded to six, it wouldn't be the end of the world for me, because you'd still, you'd still have a lot of urgency on those regular season games. You'd have reason to fight to get the one or two seed, because you'd have first-round buys. We'd get some on-campus games, at least if I were college football commissioner, we would. But we wouldn't have auto bids. And that, you know what, that's a whole separate conversation. That auto bid thing going to be a big topic of conversation the next two years. I'll tell you the one area where college football got it so wrong. Players' rights is where college football got it so wrong. You could have given 5 or 10% or 15%, and so many people in positions of power in college football for generations were unwilling to budge an inch because they never could have envisioned a day where decisions related to college football were handled in the courtroom instead of a boardroom in Indianapolis at NCAA headquarters. They thought they were immune from what the rest of the free world has to deal with litigiously, and they were never immune to it. It just took some people realizing what kind of power they had. You could have subverted it. You could have, but you didn't. And now, where are those people? Those people are long gone. Now, now we're sitting here holding the bag. <sighs> what a wonderful time. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Well, Academy Sports and Outdoors, it one-stop shop for, for this show because they keep it free of charge for you, but also one-stop shop for a lot of other things. So Thomas hit us up earlier today in my DMs, no less, at Late Kick Josh. 
Uh, just an example of what I get every day from you guys. So this is Thomas. He said, shout out to Academy for the bachelor pad setup. Fall Saturdays await. If you're listening on podcast, it's not hard to envision because you've seen it a thousand times before. This may exist in your own backyard. We got a couple of Academy fold-out chairs. We got a pit boss grill over there. Every product in here, aside from the little literal grass in the background, is available at Academy Sports and Outdoors. They come through for us on the regular. Talk to them today. They will come through for you. Pretty much whatever you need is going to be available there. And you help the show out in the process. If you can't get there in person, academy.com has the hookup. Chairs, grills, and so much more. Their billboard doesn't say that, but I will tonight. All right, let's roll along. Got a few other odds and ends to get to here. Now that the volume is turned down on my laptop, I'm going to go ahead and uh, pull the show back up. I, I wasn't kidding you guys. I know I've been asking you a lot to, to make sure you subscribe to the channel. Uh, 200K is going to be a very, very big milestone around here when we get to it. We cannot get to it unless, obviously, the 46% of you who watch the show and are unsubscribed, subscribe. So if it sounds like I'm begging, I am. Uh, but a worthy goal, I think. And like the video if you're watching, please. Okay, let's go into what ifs. What if time? Again, this is chapter 18 of the series we've been doing. This first one got me thinking a little bit today. Could this happen? Huh. Well, here's what the what if was. It was submitted from Steve Wiltfong Burner, so you know it's legitimate. He said, what if a different conference, not named the Big Ten or the SEC, Gets two teams in the playoff this year. Well, well, could that happen? Now, we do know, or I think we know. Do we know, Jesse? I think we know that this has happened three times before. But it was the SEC twice, and it was the Big Ten once. So it's never happened to someone not named the SEC or the Big Ten. Well, I've been toying around with this concept for a little while, that there's a scenario out there where Clemson and Florida State both get in the playoff. It's tough, but it's not impossible. And it goes a little something like this. Clemson wins the first matchup by three, and then FSU wins the conference title game by three, and that's their only respective loss. And then the dominoes fall elsewhere. And I mean, that's, at least in concept, it's not that hard to picture. Now, you would need help. But what if it happened on the West Coast? How fitting would it be that the Pac-12, in its twilight, as a legitimate power conference, sends two teams to the playoff? How would the committee allow this to happen? Would the committee allow this to happen? And who would those two teams be? You got USC, Oregon, Washington, Utah, UCLA, Oregon State all up there in the top six of the odds. Does Notre Dame have something to do with this? Well, no, because they're not in a conference. But Tulane, like, could Tulane get in the way of this? That's just the G5 team with the best odds. Here's the other thing I would wonder if this happened. If someone like the Pac-12 or the Big 12 or the ACC got two teams in, how many did the SEC get? How many did the Big 10 get? Did one of those conferences get shut out? All interesting. So like I said, it's happened three times before. But could it happen for the first time not involving those Big 2 conferences? Speaking conference champs, not playoff, conference champs, what about this next one? Because this is way more likely than it sounds on the surface. So we've showed you for forever the odds to win the conferences, right? Well, Josh, love the name, by the way, came at us and said, what if we have five new Power Five conference champs? Now that sounds unlikely, right? But it's really not. So last year, 
Michigan won the Big Ten. It was Georgia in the SEC. It was Clemson in the ACC. It was Utah Pac-12. And it was TCU. No, it wasn't. It was Kansas State in the Big 12. So I'm going to give you, let's just list five teams. Tell me how believable this is. Could you see Ohio State winning the Big Ten? Because they're the current favorite. Okay, so if that happened, box number one is checked. Could you see Alabama winning the SEC? Of course. Well, that would be two boxes checked. Could you see Florida State winning the ACC? Sure you could. Three boxes checked. Texas winning the Big 12? They're favored to do so. Of course you could see that happening. Another box checked. What if USC, another favorite, won the Pac-12? That's five for five. There, there is no crazy outcome there. It doesn't have to be Texas, by the way. Anyone other than Kansas State. It doesn't have to be FSU. Just anyone other than Clemson. So this is not out of the realm of possibility at all. What I would wonder is, did Georgia get left out of the playoff if this happens? It could be LSU as well. It could be Alabama. It could be LSU. It could be whomstever. Maybe it's Tennessee from Georgia's own division. Did Georgia get left out of the playoff in this scenario? What happened at Clemson? If they don't win the ACC, what happened there? Did they lose the ACC title game in thrilling fashion in the scenario I just posed, which could still see them go to the playoff? Interesting times. Next up, this one was very, very sneakily worded, but I got where they were going with it. Perry said, Kyle McCord. So I asked, what is the biggest what if? in college football this year. He just said, Kyle McCord, the roster is elite, but they can't reach their ceiling unless he's the real deal. This is the Ohio State likely starting quarterback for those not tracking. So what is real deal? It's Devin Brown, Kyle McCord up there, not in that order. McCord's probably your starter. Um, It is my belief that Kyle McCord is not the kind of guy who straps an entire team to his shoulders. I don't think you're going to see C.J. Stroud-type numbers from him. Now, the follow-up is you probably don't need them. And I'm very curious if this has a kind of effect on Ohio State's team that maybe a lot of people don't anticipate. So you have come to know Ohio State as having dominant offensive numbers. You've, You've known them as having a really deep wide receiver room, which they still do, but you've known them as having a Heisman caliber quarterback. And as of now, I don't expect Kyle McCord to be that. But here's what is happening up there. Quietly, they're really improving defensively. They have since Jim Knowles got there. I think they'll take another leap this year. A team knows this. A team knows when they've got a C.J. Stroud, and they know when they don't. So that team already knows what we're speculating about. And if they already know it, you know what it does to a running back room? You know what it does to an offensive line? You know what it does to a defense? It lets them know way ahead of time. We got to pull a little harder. We don't have a bail-me-out type quarterback. And that's really good to have in your back pocket when it comes late in the year. And you got to play against the Michigans or early in the year against the Penn States. You're getting a playoff scenario. They've got a talented enough roster to win. Don't think they don't. It's just that there is a formula. Same with Alabama this year. There is a formula where Ohio State wins every game they play or are capable of it and not needing a 42, 4,300-yard passer to do it. So that's what I would think, if he, even if he is the real deal. Kyle McCord being the real deal may not mean statistically what people think it has to mean. And last up for what if tonight, whew, NC State is so quietly good. They have won eight games in five of the last six years. So Brad said, 
What if NC State makes the ACC championship game? Well, it's a really big deal for them. That's the obvious statement there. But that would mean they've won eight plus in six of their last seven. This is a really good job being done by not just Doring, the entire coaching staff over there. It's a really good job being done. They are the fifth. They're tied for fifth. Okay, so they're tied for fifth in odds to win the ACC championship. Ultra quiet. No one's talking about him. It's that classic situation where a team had high expectations last year with Devin Leary there. Offensive line couldn't protect him, so they, they ultimately fell by the wayside a little bit, and now no one's paying attention to him. Their over-under win total is 6.5. If they wound up in the ACC championship game this year, it'd be wild. It'd be what TCU's done this before. TCU has found a way to surge a year after you expected it from them. I could see this, well, I, actually, it's not my prediction, but if that were to happen, that would be the feel. Now, naturally, you have to ask, number one, who are they playing in the ACC title game? Because either FSU or Clemson got left out at least. And the other thing that I would know in this what if is, I think Brennan Armstrong, that transfer from Virginia, has come through with flying colors for them. It's so wild how this could happen. You know, Leary goes to fill the shoes vacated by Will Levis at Kentucky and could very well put up better numbers than Levis did. Well, what if Brendan Armstrong comes in, their offensive line plays better, wide receivers step up, and he puts up better numbers than Leary did last year? Just crazy how the portal turns out there. What ifs, always fun. You know they're watching us in Bolivia? It was in the live chat earlier, and you're not allowed to lie in the live chat, so it has to be true. They're watching us in La Paz, Bolivia, Austin, Texas, or the Bolivia of the Lone Star State, as I like to call it, and Arley, Alabama. Thank you guys, wherever you are, for watching. I love doing the shout-outs. Because we used to do this show, I don't know if you're aware of this, Bradley the Associate is, because he was, he was there with me during the darkest of times. We used to do the show down in Columbus, but it was on TV. It was on local TV. So I've always done the shout-outs. But it used to sound like this. They're watching us in Hamilton, Georgia. They're watching us in... Chattahoochee County, Sylacauga, Alabama, uh, Auburn. Auburn was in our DMA. It used to just be Fort Mitchell, uh, Fortson, yeah, Bibb City, Poo, and that gets really, really in the weeds for old school Columbus residents. Yeah, that's what it used to sound like. So for us to be able to go like Washington State and then Virginia and Arizona and Utah, it's great. Love it. It's time for us to spotlight our final team. That doesn't mean prediction season's over. It actually means prediction season is about to start. So starting Sunday, I think this is how we're going to do it. We're going to start doing record predictions for teams. Best, worst, most likely. So this is the last spotlight segment we're going to do. So you guys have been asking when are predictions going to start? Sunday night. That's when predictions are going to start. But in the meantime, we don't believe in defending a national championship. But the last team you saw win a national championship is Georgia. And then the one before that was also Georgia. Colin, here's your end point. Georgia spotlight. What do you need to know? What questions do we need to ask? Is this schedule really as soft as it seems? Maybe not. Maybe not. So let's dive in. First question I have with Georgia is how solid is this stable of wide receivers? Because there's an argument to be made that even losing Kyrus Jackson, uh, certainly losing A.D. Mitchell, who was present in every playoff game, maybe it could be the best room that they've had there. Maybe. So they got Dom Lovett from Missouri in the portal. They got Ra Ra Thomas from Mississippi State in the portal. But also Lad McConkey's still there. 
It's, it's like Athens Hunter Renfro at this point for all the obvious reasons. They got Marcus Rosemary Jack Saint still there, but those two transfers along with Arian Smith, um, it's a really dynamic, it's a diverse receiver room. It's not all the same guy. There's a uniqueness in each skill set. I look, I look at McConkey. He was their leading receiver last year at the receiver position. 58 catches, 763 yards. There's a thousand yard receiver in here. There's potential for several of them, but I'm saying there's at least one in that room. And you have to take into account the tight end position with a guy like Brock Bowers there. But I'm going to talk about tight end in a second. The second question I have is um, Will Georgia have elite pass rush? That doesn't always mean you have to have one elite edge rusher. But I sat down with Kirby two and a half weeks ago, and I wanted to know forget preview magazines, where is your biggest concern? And he actually spelled it out, Colin. Look past the quarterback position, because everyone's talking about that. Um, what are two or three of the focal points or maybe hinge points you're looking at saying that'll determine whether we're right back in Atlanta in December? You start with the quarterback, which you did. Um, I think outside of that, it's going to be a lot of the same things that always come up. Can we not give up explosive plays on defense, but yet still affect the quarterback? You know, we lost some guys in Nolan and Jalen that really affected the quarterback. That's one of my major concerns is can we get to the quarterback? Do we have elite pass rushers or do we have to create it another kind of way um, and reinvent yourself we got good defensive players but I don't know if we got the guys on the edge and interior that we've had in the past now everyone ignores that when you've won the last two national championships and they just they think it just happens I know I sound like a coach a little bit right now it doesn't just happen I think most people are smart enough to understand that but yet when you go to set your expectations it's taken as like legit disrespect in my home state, where I'll be later tonight, by the way, in my home state down in Georgia, you cannot suggest they're going to lose a football game this year and be looked at as anything other than a hater. Well, there's a good reason for that. They're going to be favored in every game. This is a really good team that'd be number one on my preseason ballot. Uh, did I fill one out yet? Well, if I, if I haven't, I will. They're, they're going to be number one though. So, so I think extremely highly of them. But the point is, Matchups, matchups, matchups. That's how you end up losing games. So if he's right, well, if let's say Kirby Smart's biggest fear is realized, and this is even before injury could creep in, if they just if they just possess average ability to pressure the quarterback by their standard, that's enough to open the gate, to open the gate for Ole Miss to push you out of nowhere, or to open the gate for Tennessee and Neyland to push you out of nowhere. My point is, that's how that stuff happens. You never see the losses coming. You never see them coming with elite teams. We, we hardly ever predict these teams to lose games. Doesn't mean they're immune to losing. I didn't predict Alabama to lose to Tennessee last year. They lost to Tennessee, didn't they? And we were there. Got our hands on that goalpost just like half of Knoxville did that night. Question number three. People get mad when I say I was there because I keep saying I was there. So I'm just going to keep saying I was there. Colin was there too. I wasn't alone. Productivity at the quarterback position. Really obvious, but it is a question at Georgia. When I say Georgia quarterback last year, you think of Stetson Bennett, right? And when I say Georgia quarterback this year, you probably think of Carson Beck. It's, it's about productivity, really. Sometimes when you're looking at the quarterback position, you get attached to the name of the guy, and sometimes even their personality can affect you. And so you develop either a like or a dislike, or you develop opinions. It's kind of like in politics. Like, I've never cared if the guy I vote for is likable. I just don't care. I care about policies, and that's it. 
I'm in the minority, though, but that's what I care about. Well, in quarterback play, I'd love for my guy to be an all-world citizen. I'd love that. But really what I'd love more is for him to be able to hit a far hash out on third and nine. That's what I'd really love. And Stetson Bennett did it last year. So here's what I need. If you're going to if you're going to shot for shot replace him, I don't need another Stetson Bennett. What I need is 4300 yards and 37 touchdowns. Heisman finalist. That's what he was. Whether whether you like him or not, that's what he was. So I'm not saying they have to match exact numbers to get quality uh, quarterback play, but what I am saying is that's lofty. That's lofty. And when you say things like, well, Stetson Bennett won't be as hard to replace as like a Bryce Young or a Caleb Williams because he wasn't as good as them. Those are the numbers. I don't know what else to tell you. He was extremely good as a college football quarterback. So enter Carson Beck. He's the quarterback, or I presume he will be for Georgia. What kind of productivity do we get there? Am I right about their receiver room? Does he possess the ability to leverage that to their advantage? Uh, How much will that tight end room shine? I'm about to talk about them in a second. Cedric Van Pran returns at center. Confirmed he watches the show at SEC Media Days, except during the season, by the way. So I halfway appreciate that, sir. All that is just bubbling underneath the surface as fall camp opens there. What's the best position group on this team? You can look a lot of places, honestly, because a lot of these these rooms would be your best position group on your team. I didn't go O-line. I could have gone linebacker. Really love Small Munden, by the way. I've always struggled to pronounce his name, Smale Munden, but I love him. I went tight end, and I'm going to tell you why. It is not just Brock Bowers. Do you understand? Well, Brock Bowers could be the best football player in the country, but if I removed him from Georgia, Georgia would still have one of the best tight end rooms in the country. And I don't think most of the college football public understands this. Oscar Delp is only a sophomore. Oscar Delp, if they wanted him to be, could be an All-American tight end. And then Lawson Lucky behind him could be a freshman All-American if they wanted him to be. They are insanely deep at tight end. In fact, I don't know how you get laws passed to this degree. I'm not exactly sure it should be legal to have tight end depth like Georgia has. Just gross, borderline unfair, but they got it. The breakout player this year, though, they know. Like, it's going to sound weird when I say this for a Georgia fan because they don't think of this as a breakout player. But the country doesn't know Michael Williams yet. People from Columbus, Georgia do because they played at Hardaway, and Hardaway hadn't been exactly pumping them out down there. So when they had a five-star defensive lineman, everyone took notice. And he has fulfilled, and I think this year really will, fulfill on those lofty expectations. They've had so many studs come through there. He's been viewed as the next one since the day he stepped on campus. Like I said, if you live down in Ackworth, Georgia, you know about him. But if you live in Tulsa, Oklahoma, you may not know about him. But I think if you live in Tulsa, Oklahoma by week six, you will know the name Michael Williams. But I want to talk about Georgia's schedule for just a second. Because this has been a point of contention. Like they're the ones who voluntarily canceled the Oklahoma game. Do you think Georgia plays a tough schedule this year? 99% of you say no. Several of you say it is a ridiculously soft schedule. I am not here to tell you this is a murderer's row. By any stretch of the imagination. Nor are Georgia fans. Uh, Look at the schedule Colin is showing you. Imagine being a season ticket holder. And that's before they announced they're going to close public access to the bridge. An egregious decision, by the way, for those involved there. But I want to ask you this. Pretend it's not Georgia for a second. Pretend this is Arkansas. What if I told you on this Georgia schedule, 
there are five opponents they play in the S&P Plus preseason top 30. You, know, you think about how different that sounds all of a sudden. No, I'm not kidding you. You go look at Connolly. So if you want to disrespect Bill Connolly, go for it. But if, if you respect the guy's work, and pretty much everyone in the free-thinking world does, he's got Auburn 27th preseason, Kentucky 22nd, Florida 21st, Ole Miss 18, Tennessee 6. Georgia plays all of them. Here's the problem as it relates to Georgia's schedule being compared to everyone else in the SEC. Georgia only plays one preseason top 15 team in the S&P+. Every other team in the SEC plays at least three besides Vandy. So every other contender plays at least three or four top 15 teams. Georgia plays one. That's the rub because you know it really doesn't matter where Kentucky's ranked. It really doesn't matter where Auburn this year is ranked. If Georgia plays their A game, the fourth quarter will be unwatchable. You're, you're actually, when we talk about schedule, kind of punishing them a little bit for being elite. I get why you're saying it the way you are. It's just always funny to me the way we talk about elite team schedules versus average team schedules. Because if that was Arkansas schedule right there, you wouldn't call it a, a cupcake fest. You wouldn't call it a murderer's row, but you wouldn't call it what you call it with Georgia. However, they'll be favored and favored big time in every one of those games. But like I said, where, where's the sneaky game on there to you? Kentucky after the trip to Auburn? Is it Ole Miss right before they go to Tennessee? Is it at Tennessee? Is it South Carolina in week four? Imagine Spencer Rattler coming in there. Imagine Georgia already having a loss before they even go on the road. Georgia with a loss already before they go into October. Or Georgia winning by 20 plus every week. All of it's on the table. All right, last thing, and we got to get out of here tonight. Ho, hum, hum. Thank you guys for watching live, if you're watching. Sounded like we were about to end the show, but we're not yet. Bold Predictions has reached chapter 25, so we're a quarter of the way to 100, and we're not going to make it close to 100. Fortunately, the season will be here before then. But these are the things you claim you believe, so much so that you would bet your own money on it. Let's go to the tape. First up, Nick said Nick Singleton and Katron Allen will combine for 35-plus all-purpose touchdowns this year. Now, these are the two running backs at Penn State. So 35-plus. I know a lot of you don't have the, the stat category uh, scale memorized in college football. Like everyone knows if you're a 300 hitter in baseball, that's really good. 100 RBIs, that's really good. Well, in, in football, what is 35 combined all-purpose TDs? Well, to give you an idea, it's happened around a dozen times this millennium. So it's rare, doesn't happen every year, but it does happen. Monty Ball and James White at Wisconsin a few years ago, in 2011, they had 45. Reggie Bush and Lindale White were in the 40s one year. So it has happened. These two last year had 24 combined. 22 rushing, two catching. I think this is a 7.5 on the boldness scale. I think they're going to get close to it this year. I think they could actually do this. Reason number one, offensive line is improved. Reason number two, Clifford was a threat to sneak it in himself down inside the five-yard line. Drew Aller, not as much. And reason number three, this does not look like a wide receiver room in the preseason littered with all Big Ten potential. Maybe I'm wrong there, but I'm not predicting it for Penn State, nor is their fan base. It really makes you believe running backs are going to be the focal point of that team, and I think they're going to get a lot of opportunity. So I don't think this is all that bold. I'm going to call it a 7.5. Next up, this is very bold. This is a nine on the boldness scale for me. Cody from Baton Rouge said Florida undefeated 
heading into the bye week in week eight. Now, this is a nine, but there is a path. So they're going to be a touchdown dog or more at Utah in week one, and they're going to be a touchdown underdog or more against Tennessee. That much we know right now. It could change, but right now that's where, that's where things stand. They also have to play Kentucky on the road and South Carolina on the road, and they'll be small underdog, maybe slight favorite, again, depending on how things fall early. So those are four very losable games for them. Obviously, they have to sweep, and they have to not trip up against like Charlotte or Vandy, but they got the bye in mid-October. For them to be 8-0 there, that's a 9 on the boldness scale for me. But let's just look at the schedule, okay? We know Cam Rising, a.k.a. Jesse's stunt double at Utah, may not be fully healthy. They're starting quarterback out there. So maybe Florida gets injury luck in week one, and they beat Utah. Not that they need it. Like, they could win the game, but it would greatly enhance their chances. Maybe Joe Milton going on the road for the first time as Tennessee's starting quarterback in the swamp, maybe that trips Tennessee up. And then, of course, at Kentucky, at South Carolina, should be competitive regardless. So there is a path here, but it's a bold path. For them to go 4-0 in those four games, that's a 9 for me. However, Stats and Info has informed me that Billy Napier's offense jumped seven points per game in production year one to year two when he was at Louisiana. So let's just see. Is Graham Mertz the answer? Let's just see. Next up. Oh, boy. James from Midlothian, Texas, said a team with a losing record last year will make the playoff this year. Now, this is borderline impossible, except it just happened last year. So I'm going to both call this a 9.75 on the boldness scale and remind you TCU just did it like five minutes ago. But as far as we can tell, that's the only time it's happened, we believe. So yeah, it's really hard immunity, but it is possible. Five and seven. That was what TCU improved from. Five and seven to make the playoff. They didn't even win the Big 12, and they still made the playoff. So who could do this? Well, two teams jumped out immediately. Texas A&M technically could do this. Oklahoma could do this. And both of those teams have plus 4,000 or better odds to make the playoff. Um, that was to win the title. They got actually much better odds than that to make the playoff. So. The other teams involved, if it's not A&M, if it's not Oklahoma, could Miami do this? Could Baylor do this? Uh, could Auburn or Iowa State, prayers for Iowa State, could they do this? Unlikely, 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 no. And so we're probably looking at Oklahoma or a and I'm going to call this a 9.75. I know it just happened, but I would challenge you to look before that and find me when it's ever happened. Make the playoff, though. You know what? I'm bumping this down to a 9.5. Still bold. But I got to give a little more breathing room. Just making the playoff. That's what we need to have happen here. All right. And lastly, not necessarily a playoff contender we're talking about, but Clay from Abbeville, South Carolina, he weighed in. He said Kansas will win eight or more games and push for a Big 12 title spot. This is an 8.5 on the boldness scale. So Kansas winning eight games or more. Remember last year they started 5-0. and Then they finished 6-6. Six and six. So they... It lost the bowl game too. So they ended up six and seven. It was a really nice start to the year. Jalen Daniels went down with injury, quarterback. He's back. Uh, led FBS in quarterback rating last year. In fact, this Kansas team is number one in FBS in returning production this year, if you care about such metrics. 
Transfers have to pan out on the offensive line. I think they lost all of their starting defensive line, so they got to have transfers, both lines of scrimmage. There is literally no way, even if you're Kansas, to know how that's going to pan out. Defense was 124th in points per game allowed last year. These sorts of things have to improve if you're going to do this. They do play Texas and Oklahoma. They have got Kansas State second to last week of the year. They play Texas Tech. So they get all the big boys. I don't quite think they're going to get to eight wins. But their over-under win total is six and a half, not three and a half like it used to be. So there's that. Um, Yeah. Yeah, I'm going to call that an eight and a half. I think that's fair. All right. I appreciate you guys watching. I promise to keep it under an hour tonight. And we did just that. Reminder. Pause for effect. We're open in the store within two weeks. Phenomenal options. Right up front. Phenomenal options. I may even buy some. That's how good they are. 200K subs. Real talk. Real talk. We got to recruit. Hate State does not fund itself. We got to recruit. And we got to get subs. I know it's not a life or death situation, but I'm talking like it is to sort of use it to mind trick people into subbing. Because 46% of you are still unsubbed. All right, that's it. I appreciate it for Director Colin, for Producer Jesse. I'm Josh Pate. Take care. Sunday night, I don't care what news breaks over the weekend, Sunday night is when we'll talk about it. Until then, take care and God bless. From producers Matt Damon and Ben Affleck, explore how art and music sustained hope during the siege of Sarajevo, thanks in part to humanitarians and the band U2. Kiss the Future, new documentary now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Go to Paramount Plus to try it free. Terms apply.